This summer, I've been reading um, The Road by Cormac McCarthy, and you might have read that, or you might have seen the movie, uh, 07, 08, I think when the movie came out, Viggo Mortensen is in that movie. And basically, the novel tells the story of a father and son trying to survive in a post-apocalyptic American setting. And the father and son, they're alone. They run into another human being probably once a week, if that. The man and his boy are also disoriented. They don't know what state they're in. They don't know what year it is. They don't know what natural disaster occurred that resulted in this wasteland in which they find themselves. Every morning, the father and the son, they wake up in a world of uncertainty and fear with no confidence. They don't know where the next meal will come from. Many of us live life this way. Uh, I, I don't know about you, I oftentimes I wake up and I wander around the world out of a place of spiritual insecurity and uncertainty. We live in a sin-sick world and oftentimes it feels like we wake up in a world where we have to fearfully look over our shoulder, walk on eggshells asking the questions, you know, is God really going to provide for me? Will God forgive that sin that I still have not told anyone about? Will he provide wisdom for me and my family for this decision around the corner? So we walk on eggshells in our faith. And I want to ask this question because it's going on in our passage. What would it look like to live a life of confident faith, not out of spiritual insecurity? What would it look like to live the Christian life with confidence? That is a huge concern for the author of the Hebrews. He wants this church desperately. He wants them to follow Jesus with confidence. I'm going to read the passage now. I'm going to pray and we're going to consider it together. But friends, this is God's word and he has spoken to us not to give us a, a, an exam to master or rules to follow. He's spoken to us because he loves us. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, By the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith. With our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day drawing near. The word of God for the people of God. Let's go to the Lord and ask him to teach us. Oh God, indeed, we do bow low. We come into your presence and we are so... Humbled that you would speak to us, that you're not a God who is silent, but you long to commune with us. And Lord, we, we are needy people and we are distracted and our hearts are restless, our minds are busy. And I ask that you would slow us down by your spirit and that you would teach us marvelous things in your word, that we would see your son lifted up. We pray in his name and for his sake. Amen. Okay, so we're going to see two things. We have two fo- points of focus this morning for the note-taking type. First is confidence rooted in Christ. And then second, daily devotion. 
That's where we're going. Confidence rooted in Christ and then daily devotion. Let's do the first one together. Confidence rooted in Christ. So the author of Hebrews desperately wants this group of Christians to keep their eyes and their hearts and their minds fixed on the person and work of Jesus Christ. And so our confidence as the people of God is rooted in Christ. And we see this for two reasons in our text. We can have confidence because Christ has given us access to the Father. He's given us access to the Father. Look at verse 19 again. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way he opened for us through the curtain that is through his flesh, since we have a great priest over the house of God. So because of the person and work of Jesus Christ, we're united to him, we now have access to the Father's presence. And you probably have, if you've been here and you've been hearing, we're in chapter 10 now, um, you've probably heard and remember that Jesus' office as priest, the great high priest, is a huge theme in Hebrews. I'm not going to get into the nuances of that. Justin has done a great job doing that. You can just go listen to previous week's sermon. But it's a theme that we have to have in mind, especially as we think of our confidence where Jesus, as our high priest, has, given, has granted us access into the Father's presence. The, the author has been saying, look to Jesus. He is your great high priest. He has done what no Levitical priest in the Old Testament could do. Jesus has done something utterly new, and now you have access to the Father's presence. One commentator puts it this way, this way, thanks to the coming of Christ and the completion of his redeeming work, the way that was formally closed is now open. One pastor told me this story a couple of weeks ago. My junior year of college, this is another campus minister friend. My junior year of college, some rich guy named Bill gave me and my friends VIP passes for the Sunday of the Masters, this epic golf tournament, you probably know. We went everywhere, tents, famous cabins, clubhouses, crossed ropes that basically no one was allowed to cross. I looked at Tiger Woods in the face. I shook Tom Watson's hand. But as college students, we weren't really dressed for the part. So tons of people would stop us and say, hey, uh, I don't really think you're allowed to be here. And each person, I would joyfully look back, smile, and flash my badge. And they would say with joy, sorry, I hope you're having a wonderful time at the Masters. I got unreal privileges, all because some rich guy named Bill, who I've never even met or seen, gave me his credentials. Friends, we can live in confidence rooted in Jesus Christ because he's given us his credentials. And we have access that is utterly new in the Father's presence. Utterly new. We can also have confidence because Christ has washed our sins away. Not just access, but he's washed our sins away. Look at verse 22 again. Let us draw near with a true heart, in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience, and our bodies washed with pure water. When it comes to access to the Father, and when it comes to our forgiveness of sin, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Jesus Christ. We've read that believe that if you trust Jesus you are united to him eggshell stuff looking over your shoulder way of living it's done it is finished and he meant those words brothers and sisters verse 22 is getting at this by using the the cleansing and washing vocabulary do you notice this sprinkled clean washed with pure water 
the Old Testament sacrificial system that the Hebrew church was so struggling to look back on and take their eyes off Jesus, those Levitical priests and the animal sacrifices, all of it fell short of full cleansing work. Calvin puts it this way, for the blood of beasts, listen, this is, this is pure gold, I'm going to slow down, we need to... For the blood of beasts, as it soon turns to corruption, could not long retain its efficacy and power. But the blood of Christ, which is subject of no corruption, but flows ever as a pure stream, is sufficient for us even to the end of the world. It is no wonder that beasts slain in sacrifice had no power to quicken, for they were dead. But Christ who arose from the dead to bestow life on us, communicates his own life to us. Friends, Jesus' blood is enough for you. It's enough for me. Christ has inaugurated the new covenant. The Bible is a covenant story. God and his promises to his covenant people and Christ has inaugurated the new covenant. Surely the, the writer of the Hebrews, this is a huge theme for him, he would have had these words from Ezekiel 36 in mind. Listen, listen to this. Jesus fulfills this certainly. I will take you from the nations and gather you from all the countries and bring you into your own land. I'll sprinkle clean water on you. It's almost identical to the Hebrews language. And you shall be clean from all your uncleanliness and from all your idols. I'll cleanse you. I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I'll put within you. I'll remove the heart of stone, give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes. On that day, I will cleanse you from all your iniquities. Friends, we're living in new covenant realities where our sins are completely washed away. Because of the cleansing work of Christ's blood and the the awakening love of the Spirit. You are clean. You are a new creation. The steadfast, never-ending covenant love of God took flesh and atoned for your sins and paid the penalty that you and I deserve. And then He died and then walked up out of a graveyard and defeated death for you. That is true. I invite you to rest in that. In our union with Jesus Christ, we have nothing short of cosmic confidence in our access to the Father and that He's washed our sins away. It's amazing. That's confidence in Christ. Let's do daily devotion now. Daily devotion. He wants them to be hearers and doers of the Word. That's what the author of Hebrews wants. He doesn't want them to just confess with their mouth. He wants to embody the Word of God. In their everyday life. So what does this look like? First, we see that daily devotion involves embracing our hope. Embracing our hope. Look at verse 23. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. The people of God are those who are compelled by and bound by hope. And they persevere. Remember, he is reinforcing this theme of perseverance. A huge theme in the book of Hebrews. And he seems to be saying, if you want to persevere in keeping your eyes on Jesus, you have to do so with hope, the hope that he offers with confidence. He's saying, I don't want you to be insecure and unstable in your faith. I want you to throw yourself upon Jesus Christ, not taking your eyes on, off of him. 
He's your great high priest, and he's going to be faithful to sustain you. There's an idea of like looking ahead with hope as we are daily devoted to Jesus Christ and follow him. I, I started running fairly consistently this summer, and I'm way more aware of like bad habits that I have as a runner. Uh, my posture isn't great. I don't drink enough water. Um, all kinds of things. You can uh, pray for me uh, so that I'm not injured. Um, but one thing that I noticed is that when I'm running, and I hate that I do this, but I do it so intuitively. I'm running, and I'm always looking down at the ground. Even if I'm running with other people, I'm always looking down at the ground. I tore my Achilles tendon in seminary, and so I'm hypersensitive to like everything going on with my ankles when I'm running. So I don't want to step on a rock awkwardly. And about a month ago, I was running, and um, I just kind of made the decision. I was like, you know, I know this route. I've been running this route around our house, Spartanburg High School area. And I'm just going to look ahead. I don't need to. I, I know what's in front of me. And there was a, a kind of a strange thing where I was just, the fatigue certainly didn't go away. But I was, I just enjoyed the run more as I was looking ahead. I, ha- I was envisioning and anticipating kind of being done and knew sort of like different parts of the run that I was approaching. Um, the Christian life, it's a, and, and I can tell you this, the metaphor of the New Testament using the Christian life as a race has like a whole new meaning to me this summer as I've been doing it. But yeah, it's a race that we're running, but we have to look ahead. It's not like down at our immediate circumstances. It's anticipating this day that's coming that we're going to talk about in a few minutes where Jesus is going to make all things new and wipe away tears. Like that's where we're running. And that's going to happen. He's really faithful to keep his word so daily devotion is embracing hope it's also uh, it involves good works it involves working out our salvation with good works of love in verse 24 the author says and let us consider how to stir up one another in love and in good works confident faith friends and the daily devotion takes the shape of love love that according to the apostle paul is patient and kind doesn't in, it's not envious, it doesn't boast, it's not arrogant or rude, doesn't insist on its own way, rejoices in the truth, it bears all things, believes, hopes, and endures all things. We're to people to be a people who embody love in our life, love loving God and love our neighbor. That's what we've always been called to in the Christian life. That's our calling. And our daily love, I, w- I want you to hear this, especially because of our confidence that we have in Jesus Christ that's rooted in him. Daily love of good works is just the practical outworking of God's love for us. It's not to merit anything. He's done all of that. We're just free to be ourselves and run this race of of pulling up the extra chair for a neighbor in our house and doing works of hospitality and asking a co-worker to lunch who's lonely and who's still depressed and you don't know why. This, This is the practical outworking of God's love for us. Forgiven people forgive. We've talked about that. And finally, daily devotion involves living in community. Do you notice this? Living in community. The author of Hebrews, again, this perseverance theme, there's this this tendency in this church to to take their eyes off Jesus and to run away from him, like to, to forsake Jesus. And the author of the Hebrews seems to be saying that if you want to persevere in the faith, you can't do it alone. If you want to persevere in the faith, you can't do it alone. You have to be in community, but not just any community, the local church, Christ's body and bride, the church. 
Yes, with all of her imperfections and warts and stains. Look at verse 25. Not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. You cannot do the Christian life solo. Eugene Peterson just simply put it one day. Uh, my brother-in-law had the, the privilege of spending a half a day with him at his house, and we were talking about the necessity of living in community, and he just says, you know, Matt, Josh, we're just not ourselves by ourselves. We're not ourselves by ourselves. Apparently, the Lord's people to whom this writer's speaking to they're tempted to stop meeting together to do this isolation christian life the solitary christian life and you can hear him saying because it gets under his skin if you want to persevere you have to do it together you need each other you need each other as i meet with college students this is a huge thing that comes up all the time especially with freshman students they they find themselves hours away from the, familiar, the familiarity of high school friends and favorite restaurants. They walk into their, their new dorm room and they unpack their bags. They hang posters and pictures on the wall. Their parents uh, and them go on a target run to get the essentials. And after the target trip, mom and dad drive away. And now they have entered into a new season of new freedom and individual, individuality. And independence, and that is healthy and necessary. They're on their own for the first time in their life, and mom and dad aren't going to make sure they're up on time to get to class or to get to corporate worship on Sundays or to turn their assignments in on time. And this is, again, good and healthy. But before too long, they realize this is so predictable with freshmen, and it's just a great instinct that if they want to flourish, they come to realize they can't do it alone. They can't do it alone. They need friends. And what they're intuitively getting on this existential level is that we're not meant to be alone. In Genesis, when God created the world, he created everything, and then he started saying to everything, it is good, it is good, it is good. He looks at Adam and something was off. Adam's alone, and we read that man is not meant to be alone. And so when freshman college students are experiencing homesickness and loneliness, they're getting it. They're getting it. I was sitting down with a freshman boy for lunch my first year here two years ago, and uh, we were about a month into the semester in the fall. And this guy came from a really rich Christian community in his hometown, and he was longing for it at Wofford, and he was particularly mature for a freshman boy, uh, no question. And at one point, we're talking about kind of the friend group that he had developed and they don't, but he didn't really feel known by them, and he didn't really feel, feel like he knew them very well. And at one point, with just such, like, concern, and it sounded like a weight was lifted off when he said it, he just looked, Matt, I'm just so sick of everything being so superficial. I'm so sick of everything being so superficial. And he was spot on. What the student got was that life in college or any season is meant to be experienced in community, to be known by others, to know others. And he was intuitively allergic to this idea of keeping everything at the surface. And I love this about him. Daily devotion to the Christian life, we have to do it in community, in the local church. We need each other. 
this morning, we, we've asked the question, what does it look like in this barren, sin-sick wasteland of a world that we live in to live confidently in Jesus Christ? So we've looked at confidence rooted in Christ, and this is confidence because of the access we have to the Father and because He's washed away our sins, but also we've discovered daily devotion, loving God and neighbor and good works in the context of the local church. In only six verses, this is a lot. And there's all kinds of things that we could say about this to apply it to our everyday lives. I just want to say three things and we're going to be done. First, we must rest in the finished work of Jesus Christ. We have to rest And especially if we want to persevere with this Hebrews theme, we have to rest in the finished work of Jesus Christ. I want to ask you this. Christian, when is the last time that the cross of Jesus, like, pierced your soul? I don't know when that was for you. Whether you've been a Christian for six months or 60 years, you never move on from the good news of the gospel, cross and resurrection. You do not move on from that. What would it look like for you to keep your heart soft to the cross and resurrection of Jesus Christ? Because it's actually an active thing to do. One practical thing that we do here at Grace to keep our hearts soft to do this, as he's commanded us to do, is we come to the table and rest and celebrate the reality that it is finished. It's really finished. And that that is good news. It nourishes us in our faith. How can we do this? I want you to be thinking What would it look like very practically in your friendships, in your family, in this church to keep your heart soft to the gospel, to keep the good news sweet to your soul? One practical way that I've done this over the years, um, there was a group in college that I met with weekly. It was guys, and there was accountability, there was prayer, there was confession. And at the end, we just committed ourselves to finding a, a group of kind of gospel summary passages in the New Testament that kind of got at the heart of the gospel in a really succinct way. So 2 Corinthians 5.21, you might know this. He made him, God made Jesus to be sin who knew no sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. Our sin on Jesus, his righteousness on us. That is the gospel. And we would read passages like that at the end because we're going to hear messages from the world and in our own hearts on the college campuses and on our news feed about who we are and our identity. And we need the good news of the gospel right in front every day, every week, every month, every year. So just, I want to get you thinking in that direction, keeping the gospel sweet to you and resting in the finished work of Christ. Second, we must commit ourselves to a life of love must commit ourselves to a life of love in community with other Christians. Daily devotion and persevering with confident faith looks like everyday, mundane, ordinary acts of washing the dishes for your wife when she is exhausted, but it's the last thing that you want to do and you just do it anyway. It's, again, asking that coworker to lunch. They're still depressed and you, you don't feel like you're helping and you're doing it anyway. It's that coworker who will not stop gossiping and you're trying to speak the truth and love to them, even in a clumsy way, but you're doing it. You're trying to be faithful. You're living a life of love. It looks like the holiness, of one pastor put it, the holiness of pulling up that extra chair, as I said earlier, of a, a, someone in your house who's a guest who may have not experienced a home environment in their childhood. 
committing ourselves to a life of love, and, and we must maintain hope. This is the last, last thing here. As we work out our faith, which we're called to do, in daily acts of loving God and loving neighbor, we cannot do this without hope. We cannot run this race just looking at our immediate circumstances and believing what we see on our news feeds and on the news in our newspapers. But we have to commit ourselves to not only living a life of love and good works, but doing it with this like long-term vision in mind. Because how this passage ends, it says, as the more, all the more as you see the day, capital D, drawing near. And that day is referring to the second coming of Jesus Christ. The Messiah, the priest, the prophet, the king, and he's really going to come. Like he, that's what we believe. Like He's really coming back. And He will really wipe away all tears. And He really will rid the world of all the sin the, that we experience. And we will actually see Him face to face. That's what we believe. So these ordinary acts of changing the next diaper, when you feel like it's not your turn, and you do it anyway, there's this kind of strange tension in this passage. That you're like doing dishes and changing the diaper with all things new in mind. Does that make sense? you hear me? This ordinary showing up work of looking at the finish line. And it's really going to happen. And the author of the Hebrews wants to connect those things. Cosmic realities of all things new. And daily faith of showing up and persevering. And ordinary acts of love. So brothers and sisters, let us be a people who follow Jesus. Not operating out of a spiritual place of insecurity but confidence rooted in jesus christ and why can we do this he told us in this passage he who promised is faithful he's going to do it and that's good news let us pray <clears throat> lord we do come to you and we are so delighted to be living with new covenant realities that jesus you have made access given us access to the Father. This is a new thing you've done. Lord, the good news that the Word became flesh and went up on a cross and walked out of a graveyard. Lord, keep our hearts soft to this, please. And will you do that even as we sing and come to the table and we do ask this in Christ's name. Amen.